to uh, open your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 8 and stand with me. Now, I know you have a cup of tea, so you've got to carefully put it down on the ground. Stand with me, holding your Bible, Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to read together. Verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. So the, just five verses. Nehemiah chapter 8. So read slowly, distinctly. Read with me, starting in verse 1. Nehemiah. It's before Psalms. You go back a bit, a bit, a bit before Job. Nehemiah chapter 8. Read it with me, will you now? And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mathathiah, and Shema, and Ananiah, and Urijah, and Hilkiah, and Massasiah, on his right hand, and on his left hand, Pedadiah, and Mishael, and Malchiah, and Hashem, and Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Very good. Verse 5. <laughs> and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. That's enough. That's it. We'll stop there. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, please teach us from your word this morning. Help us to go back, put our feet into the shoes of these people and see what it was like when you, when you had that moment. And all the people realized what was about to happen as Ezra opened the Bible. And all the people stood, not out of formality, not because the only, it was the thing that they always did, but because of the book being opened. God, we, we have open Bibles in our room, but we don't have open hearts, and we need that now. So open a lot of things this morning and speak to every heart. Teach us, but change us, please. Save somebody who's trying to live both lives. I pray they realize they must be born again. And they can be saved today if they would just believe the book they hold in their hand. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right, I want to talk to you about church as it ought to be. Now, we're going to go to two scriptures here. Go into 1 Timothy. It is where we actually have our memory verse this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I said 1 Corinthians. 1 Timothy. I was in Corinthians here. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, God takes what we do here together on a Sunday in this place very seriously. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 
Starting in verse 14, it says these words. These things write I unto thee. Who's he writing to? It's the name of the book. Timothy. He thinks, these things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. I want to come see you. But if I tarry long, I've written these things, so that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to, what's the next word? Behave. Do a lot of people know how to behave in church? Do they know how to treat the church? Now, I'll be talking about that in a moment. You say, what's the church? Well, it says right there, in the house of God. This isn't our house. It's God's house. You say, well, this is the Westgate. Yeah, but you're still thinking of the building. Okay? God doesn't see buildings. He sees people. And he calls it the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Go to 1 Peter now, chapter 2. 1 Peter, right after Hebrews, James, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. I'm looking out at the church. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, speaking to believers, to Christians, ye also as lively stones, you're not dead, I hope. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual what? A holy priesthood to offer up, not physical sacrifices, but spiritual ones acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We are the church. We're the household of faith. We're the house of God. We're an assembly. Go back to the left, Hebrews now. One more scripture before we get started in Nehemiah. Hebrews chapter 10, very familiar scripture, verse 25. Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. When do we do that? On Sunday. Where do we do that? Well, right here. We've got a centralized location. Can you imagine if it was always secret? <laughs> Where do we meet this Sunday? I'm not telling. <laughs> We couldn't find each other. No, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's what a church is, as the manner of some is. Yes, people put off going to church, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day of the return of Christ approaching. So a church is an assembly of believers where the Bible alone is clearly and firmly preached as true. Now, we are the church. We are an assembly and the Bible is what makes this, I, I don't make this a special place. You don't really make this place a special place. This book makes this a special place. So I'm going to talk about that this morning. Sunday is not about you or me. I don't know if you noticed it, but it's not about all the fun and entertainment or even your satisfaction. This is thankfully not a museum. It is not a sports stadium. It's not a bank or a rally. The people here are not performing a concert or a show. This is not a university or a philosophical or a place for a philosophical debate. This is a church. And I'm, hard, I'm here to tell you that the feelings of people are not worried about as much as is the truth being spoken. So what we do with our church and what each of us do to our church matters to God first. And it matters to our future as a human race. Because God doesn't save nations through politicians. Did you hear what I said? 
God does not save and change and fix problems through psychologists and psychiatrists. They can help. But God had chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So as the church goes, so goes the nation. Our nation needs some healthy churches. Would you agree? So we need to seriously and soberly learn how to behave as Christians, as the church of the living God, and not take it for granted. So the background, let's go back to Nehemiah. Back to Nehemiah there. And there's a great comparison in the book of Nehemiah with the Christian life. Nehemiah shows about how to protect what God gave us. The best way to protect our walk with the best way to protect our walk with God, to protect our families, to protect the freedoms that we have as Christians is to not leave everything alone. Just let things fall apart. They'll take care of themselves. No. If we're going to protect what we have, we have to constantly rebuild. You know, your, Bible, your, your body's doing that all the time. Your body is constantly rebuilding what dies. Your cells are constantly replacing themselves. Your bones, if you ever break a bone, that break, if you, if you take care of it, if you set it, and if you let it restore itself, it will be stronger than it was before the break because it's rebuilding. Your body is amazing. Well, that's how... Uh, our families are supposed to be. That's how our church is supposed to be. We can't just let things fall apart. We have to deal with things and fix them. So from Nehemiah chapter 2, all the way to 6, the walls go up around Jerusalem, Jerusalem, brick by brick, meter by meter, battle by battle with the enemies. They finished rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 15 So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month, Elul, in 50 and 2 days. And if you get an idea, this, this wall was nearly 3 miles in length around. It was a ton of work, and they did it in 52 days because they had a mind to work. So they finished the wall. Now here's the great, great truth. When they finished, I want to show you something. Um, look at chapter 7 and verse 4. Now the city was large and was great in size, but the people were few therein, and their houses were not builded. So when they finished the wall, guess where everybody went? Home. They've got to start fixing things at home. They've got to start working on the garden. They've got to patch up uh, um, broken down sheds and fixing patching roofs. And when they were finished and had gone home, Nehemiah called them all back again. I think this is really cute. Because, um, in, in, as, as we talked last week, verse 1 of chapter 7, it came to pass when the wall was built, and I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites. He takes a census. He goes through all that thing. Now go to chapter 8. And all the people now gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And um, I'm looking for... Well, let's go back to chapter 7, verse 73, because i got to show you where they were. 
773, so the priests and the Levites and the porters and the singers and some of the people and the Nethanims, who were the servants in the temple, and all Israel, they dwelt in their cities. And when the seventh month came, now there's a special event that happened on the seventh month, the children of Israel were in their cities. But you get to chapter 8, and all of a sudden, everybody is in Jerusalem. And I want you to know what happened was Nehemiah called them all back together again with a trumpet. Because at the beginning of the, the month, uh, uh, what we call September, about the middle of September, their seventh month at the beginning, when you go by Leviticus and, and, and you see the calendar that God had for the children of Israel, at the beginning of the seventh month, some guys are supposed to stand up and blow with the trumpet and call everybody together. So Nehemiah says, start blowing. And I just want to give you the idea. They've all gone home. They're all tired. They have worked for 52 days, almost straight, without a break. They have faced enemies, discouragement. They have, they have uh, faced the, the desire to quit, and yet they stayed with it. And when they finished, they says, we can go home. As soon as they got home, They said, what's that? And then that trumpet just kept blowing, and they could hear it from miles away. And so they packed up everything, and everybody, as tired as they were, came back. You ever felt like that on a Sunday morning? The trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets, was what they were called to do, and it was a time for the people of God, no matter how tired they were, to say, this is God's call to worship. And that's what Sunday is. And... I don't, now some churches, if you've ever been around some of the old time churches, they had a bell. Ring, 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 and they would call people to come to church. Well, that practice goes way back to every seventh month at the beginning. Some men with some good lungs would begin to blow into all directions and it could be heard. And I don't know if you've ever been in the desert or if you've ever been on an ocean, but when there is a smooth surface, and especially on sand, the sound would be carried, and it was eerie, and the people would go, something's on. Now, normally, when you sound trumpets like that, a battle was about to happen. But these weren't for battles. These were to play for, to remind them of victory. And I hope you remember, when we get together, we've battled all week long. It's good to come to church and just rejoice in some victories. Amen. So this is a great illustration of church, what we're going to look at here. Matter of fact, do you know what? One of these days, there's going to be a trumpet blown. And I don't care how tired you are, how distracted you are, how backslid you are, we're going to church. <laughs> but it won't be here. <laughs> we're going to assemble together at the foot of Jesus. Amen? Amen. You say, well, I, I, uh, I don't know if I can get to church out today. One of these days, I hope you're going to heaven. Because at that trumpet sound, at the sound of the last trump, we're out of here. All right. So... This was the Feast of Trumpets described in Leviticus, and it is God's pattern for church today. You say, I hate how we have to go to church. No, it's a call. You're answering God. You're not answering me. You're not doing duty. You're doing something that is the balance for the rest of the week. If you want Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday to go well, put God first on Sunday. Answer the call. Listen to the fact that the world is crying out, saying, come to this disco, come to this concert, do this and do that. Answer God's call. Gather together with God's people. As boring as we may seem, we're a blessing. Amen. So we left off last week there in chapter 7, verse 70. Let me start there in verse 70. 
of chapter 7, and some of the chief of the fathers, look what they start to do. They gave him to the work. We'll talk more about this next week. The Tirshatha, which was the Tishuk, the governor, gave to the treasures, and he, look at a thousand drams of gold. Now, a dram was a, was a coin, 50 basins, um, 530 priest garments, and some of the chief of the fathers gave to the treasurer of the work 20,000 drams of gold and 2,200 pounds of silver. That's a lot of silver. And that which the rest of the people gave was 20,000 drams of gold and 2,000 pounds of silver and threescore and seven priests' garment. So the priests and the Levites and the porters and the singers and some of the people and the Nethanims and all Israel, after they gave, they, dwelt, uh, they went back and they dwelt in their cities. And when the seventh month came, that's our drum roll leading up to chapter 8, the children of Israel were in their cities. And it, but they, they, they now needed to be called and says, it's time for church again. So Nehemiah has, has a, a, a burden. Now, he's a politician. He's a good politician. And he says, we need to make sure we keep with God's calendar. We don't need to worry about the LGBTQ crowd. We don't need to worry about whether it's um, uh, some special holy day for, or holiday for some, some person in history. We need to make sure, hey, to celebrate the birth of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, we need to make sure that stays in our calendar. Amen? So, he starts to rebuild, after rebuilding the walls, he starts to rebuild the lives of the people around worship and around God. So here in chapter 8, and by the way, they enjoyed it. You're going to see how much they did. This morning, as we get to chapter 8, I want to do two things this week and next week. One, I want to look at what to do with the book you hold in your hands. Next week, we'll learn what that book will do with you. Okay? Because this is unlike any other book you've ever read. That book is alive. Now, I'm not going to crawl off the table, but this is the living word of the living God. So if you'll read it, it will work. We'll find that next week. So here we're going to look at the best way to behave in church, all right? You ready? Chapter 8, verse 1. Let's learn, see if we can learn from Nehemiah, sorry, uh, yeah, about Ezra in verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves because of the trumpet blow together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Now Nehemiah calls for Ezra to come and speak. Now there are 42,360 men, women, and children who gather. That's quite an assembly. Look at chapter 7, verse 66. Look back over a bit. The whole congregation together was... Forty and two thousand three hundred and three score, which is sixty. Forty-two thousand three hundred sixty people. So they took a head count. Tony, where are you? Can you imagine? Where are you, Tony? Can you imagine counting all that? No, you couldn't do it. <laughs> but there were forty-two thousand people there. Verse eight, verse one of chapter eight says, "And all the people." You know, I like it when everybody comes. I like it when everybody makes time for God and it's time for church. Say, "Oh, I don't need to be there." No, you're missed. You're missed. Nehemiah had those trumpets blown as loud as possible. He called for people to come together, and they all came. No one stayed away, and that's cool. That's a great, that's a great thing. Uh, you know, uh, when you have a family, when you have family reunion, it's nice to have everybody there. Amen? And uh, church is the same. Now, they assembled in a street leading up to the water gate. Now, this is really cool. The entire, they're at the water gate. Well, I'll talk about that more. Let me finish and talk about this guy. 
the entire crowd called for Ezra to bring the Bible out. Now, who was this Ezra guy? You need to go back one book to Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7 in verse 10. And I would like to encourage you as much as possible to highlight this verse, maybe put a star beside it or mark around it, because this ought to be you before you get to church on a Sunday morning. Ezra 7.10, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. And to what? All right, so before he ever read the Bible, before he ever heard preaching, what was he doing in his heart? He was preparing it. He was, he was, let me be real plain. If you're going to eat a huge dinner, you know what you need to do? Don't eat anything before it. Is that simple? That's basic. If mama's gone to all the work to prepare this massive spread, it'd be wrong for you to be snacking on Kit Kat and bread rolls and everything and sit down going, I'm not hungry. And yet we do that with God. And all week long you have watched some of the most Filthy, rubbish, wasted hours of your life, and then you come to church and go, and you're stuffed, and you're, and you're, 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 it's rotting in you. He came to the Word of God hungry. He was prepared that whatever God said, do. That's a good man. He goes on to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and then to teach in Israel all the statutes and the judgments. Ezra was a man of God. That is a very high calling. Nobody just stands up and says, I'm a man of God. Ezra was a man of God. He had returned with many of the people from captivity in Persia, and all he wanted to do was rebuild the temple and see the people of God return to God. He was specially called by God to, uh, to get people to live by the Bible. He knew and he was fulfilling that calling he had no greater calling. I doubt, I, you know, I, there's no problem. I'm sure he had sports. I'm sure he had hobbies. But his life was getting people right with God. He was a skillful writer and a copyist of the scriptures. And they did not have Xerox machines. And they, didn't, they, had, they couldn't just make a copy of a page. They had to painstakingly make hand copies of the Word of God and if you've never tried to copy out even a page of your Bible, you have no idea how precise that is because it is so easy to make a mistake, especially when you're tired. And especially when it's just word after word after word and you're trying to do it. But they would do entire books. That's what they called scriptoriums. And you go to the monastery and they'd have a section there with these raised uh, tables and people would be making copies of scriptures. Well, he was a copyist. He was also a historian. He, uh, he didn't care about all the new fads and the fashions and the technological gadgets of the day. There are very few, but he loved seeing God's hand in history. And he lived the book that he preached. But best of all, he was a preacher of the Word of God. And I want to be real plain and say that God gives every church in Ezra a pastor, a man of God. He... You can come, you'll come back to Nehemiah in a moment, but go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. It's great 
when God gives you a godly leader, a godly politician, a godly uh, builder, and, and, and somebody who led the people. That was what Nehemiah was. But at this point, they needed an Ezra. And it's, you, you, you would, I'm sure plenty of you could, would wish that you could give your right arm to have a Christian boss. Amen? To work in a, con, in a, in a, in a company that, that had a Christian ethos. And that there wasn't the swearing and the cursing, and that they, the, the, the boss made sure that everybody got the ability to go to church on a Sunday and didn't, didn't double work them and uh, abuse them and take advantage of them. It'd be great to have a Christian boss. Well, these people had a Christian boss in Nehemiah, but a Christian boss is not what you need when it comes to worship. You need a pastor. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Speaking of Jesus, he gave some apostles. And to some he gave prophets, some evangelists, and some, what's the next word? Pastors and teachers. God gives every church in Ezra a pastor, a man of God. That's what a pastor and a teacher is. A pastor is a man of God. He's saved just like everyone else. He's not perfect. He didn't, you know, he didn't fall down, not fall down, didn't fly down from heaven. He'd come out of the same muck you did, Amen. But he's specially called by God to get people to live for God by the Bible. He's to be a careful student of the Bible. I may not know much, and I may not, you may be able to know circles around some things, but my life is to know this Bible from start to finish. That is my life, and that's the life of any man of God. He lives by the same Bible princes he requires of you, and he's a preacher. Yes, he's an encourager, but you know what a preacher is supposed to do? Preach the word when it's popular and when it ain't. And that's what Ezra was about to do. Uh, you're in Ephesians. Go to the right. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Paul writing to young Timothy. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Is money the problem? No, our heart is. Our addiction to money. You know, Brother uh, uh, Tony, we're going to have to add that to our, are you, you know, now, are you addicted to the love of money? <laughs> anyway, the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the face, speaking of Christians, and they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, what's the next four words? Oh, man of God, talking to young Timothy, flee the love of money. Flee these things. Follow after righteousness and godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Be like Ezra. Never demean the office of the pastor. When we were here, my kids had to grow up with the other kids and neighbors saying, so what does your dad do? He doesn't work? And I'm like, when are they ever going to know? I work probably more than, than, than most of their parents. They get to come home at night and do nothing for eight hours every evening. Don't demean the office of a pastor. I believe what the man of God does is more important than all the Nehemiahs and all the Pilots and all the Caesars and all the Herods and all the Nebuchadnezzars and all the Tishaks and Tanishas put together. Amen. A pastor speaks for God into this sin-cursed generation and tries to make a dent in it. You better help me. You better get behind me because it is a hard job. It's not something that I do lightly. It's not something anybody should ever try to do lightly. 
all attention focuses on that book. Now, we already read there, back to Nehemiah, chapter 8. I think this is amazing. Because as important as Ezra was, why do you think everybody stood when he got up on that pulpit? It was the book that they stood for. Now, it's not wrong to give honor to whom honor is due, okay? Um, somebody comes in, as a matter of fact, especially somebody who's older than you, stand up to them, look them eye to eye, shake their hand, treat them with honor, amen. Give honor to whom honor is due, but let me tell you this. When this book is opened, this place ought to change in a heartbeat. All the moving around ought to stop. Are you with me? Go to the toilet before church, amen? All the attention, going back to chapter 8, all the people gathered themselves together as one man. Remember that in a moment. Into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe, Go get the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law, and it was before the sight of the congregation, both of men and women, and all they could hear with understanding. So they, the little kids, they had a crash for them. I don't know how many thousand they had, but they had a crash. Upon the first day of the seventh month, and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until, all right, about three hours, maybe four, before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood which they had made for the purpose. Beside him stood, and we'll talk about that, we'll just skip over those names. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. You know, all the attention was on that book. You can see that this, this vast crowd, I can't comprehend 42,000 unless I'm in a stadium. Could you? 42,360 people standing as one man. It must have been electric. There was a hunger among Why were they so... Listen, why, why wasn't this like any other day? They had not heard the Bible spoken for over 100 years. These people had grown up without the Word of God. They had stories. Everybody knows of Noah and the ark. They know about, you know, things that happened in, in the history, but they had never heard the words with their own ears. So when he brought that book and was about to read, they stood and they said, I'm going to hear every single word. There was a hunger. Now, what was that book? It was not some glossy magazine with recipes and Hollywood gossip columns. It's not some old religious book full of quaint sayings and man's opinions and theological debates. You know what it was? It was the words of God to man. Take your Bible, hold your place here, we'll come back. But 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. To most people that I meet and I talk to, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. To them, the Bible's a relic. It's just something that you have around the house. First Thessalonians, is, is, as Weston says, it's in the T's. First, second Timothy, first and second Thessalonians, first second Timothy, Titus. But first Thessalonians, chapter 2, and verse 13. 
For this cause also thank we God. Paul writing to the Thessalonian Christians, he says, I constantly thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, when you heard it and you listened to it and you believed it, you heard it of us. We spoke it. Yet you received it not as the word of men, but as is in truth, the word of who? Which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So when Paul stood up and he preached, the people didn't say, I hear Paul, but he's speaking the word of God. And that's how the people took it. Do you know, it was actually written down, this book, there were, this, is in, this is a very expensive roll. It's called a scroll. That, that is, is calf skin, very expensive calf skin that has been tanned and dried and prepared. And then it was, it's in strips. And so they would write, right to left, but they would write the text on a strip and then they sewed all the, these columns together into a very long roll. And each book, like the book of Genesis, would be one entire roll. Exodus, another entire roll. Leviticus, so on and so forth. It was a massive book. And it was priceless. Do you know, what they're reading was given to them by God at Mount Sinai. What they're hearing was priceless. It was hand-copied and checked for errors like no other book has ever been done. That's why we know that the Bible is preserved, because God made sure of it through the most painstaking methods. By the way, it's called, as they called it there, over and over, the book. And so when you look and it says Holy Bible, Bible is the word biblios in Greek, and biblios simply means the book. So when they called for the book, they were calling for the Bible. And it was huge. <laughs> Each scroll being just massive, Genesis excavated. He brought all these things up to the top of that huge crowd, and he wanted it read. I didn't know I had that down there. He gathered at the water gate. Verse three says it, and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate. Now these forty-two thousand three hundred and sixty people assembled just inside the city wall behind a gate called the Water Gate. You know what it was? It was church. See, there are 13 gates and doors around the city of Jerusalem and many streets crisscrossing, but this huge gate standing in the front of them that they gathered at was significant. Because just on the outside of that was a pool and it was filled by a, a flowing stream, a flowing fountain, and that's where they would get water for bathing from. It was to keep them clean. And if anybody knows, in the heat, you need to take a bath every once in a while. And so they knew how important washing was. As a matter of fact, it kept them healthy. When diseases would go around through all the other countries, they didn't get diseases because they constantly washed their hands. They took baths. They were keeping themselves clean. They knew about the value of being clean on the outside. But they remembered they needed to be clean on the inside. Uh, you're, you're in Nehemiah. Go to the right. Go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and verse 9. Wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy baptism. Is that what it says? According to the word. Listen to the word. Go to John 15. Gospel of John, chapter 15. 
the disciples were hanging around Jesus, they didn't even know what was going on as Jesus constantly spoke the Scriptures, constantly remind them of what God had said. And as he spoke, look what he says in John chapter 15, verse 3. Now, you don't even realize it, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Ephesians 5.25 says, um, go there real quick. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, amen, that he might sanctify and cleanse his church with the washing of water by the so this, wa- this place in the water gate, they came not to get washed by the water, but symbolically to be washed by the Word. So when you come to church on a Sunday, you say, what am I going to get out of it? At least one thing, as we read the Bible, and as you listen, and as you understand it, it cleans you. And there, if, there, if there's anything we need in this generation, it is a clean generation. And if we're not clean, it's because we're not letting the Bible do it. So they gathered at the water gate. Now, I was going to show you this. This, this water gate is right over here. Just outside was a stream. And uh, this, all of these people are packed all alongside looking at this one gate inside Jerusalem. Um, the use of that pulpit, go back to Nehemiah chapter 8. And, and there's a special purpose-built podium, platform, one thing. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 4 says, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for this purpose. Now this was a, a raised platform, purpose-built to hold up, not a religious leader, not the singers and the performers, but to lift up the Word of God. Remember our memory verse. Um, but if I tarry long, that thou, that thou mightest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church living God, the pillar, did you notice that word? What does a pillar do? It holds up something. And the church is supposed to be the pillar and the ground, the, the setting for the truth. So the one thing that we hold up here is the truth. It's the word. It's, it's what God said. So the use of the pulpit is supposed to be raised up. Now, I know that people call this a lectern and things like this, but I prefer the Bible word pulpit. Now, they put a big platform, 42,000 people, and allowed everybody to see him and hear him as he read. Ezra stood on that pulpit, but it was not to honor him or even the 13 men that were with him. It was so that the Bible alone could be honored. Listen to Isaiah 66. Don't turn there, but it says, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where's the house that you build unto me? Where are you going to contain me? Where's the place of my rest? For all these things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I lift up, uh, but this man will I look to, even to him that is of a poor and a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. So you want to get God's attention? Give your attention to his word. Back there in verse 5, when that book was opened, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Verse 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered. Ah, what's that word doing in there? 
Amen. Didn't just say it once either, did they? Amen. Amen. With lifting, <gasps> what kind of church is this, Pastor? Lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads. I kind of worry about these people like this all the time, you know. All right. But that's not what they did. They were, when you say amen, you know what you're saying? So be it. I agree. That's right. Now you'll hear it in the, in the, in the parliaments. You'll hear them, they're going, hear, hear, you know. <laughs> but the Bible word is amen. Don't be ashamed of that word. You're in church, don't go, hear, hear. <laughs> say amen. And it's good. You want to encourage me? Say amen. But it didn't work. Anyway, that fell flat. Say, can I raise my hand in church? Yes. Just not to go to the bathroom. You know what a, we know what a raised hand is? It's a sign of surrender. Now, if you're up there and you're swinging, I'm not going to call you out, but I'm going to say this. Why don't you just raise your hand, bow your head. You know what you look like? Like somebody who's lost and is looking for mercy. That is right. If the preaching is about you and not on purpose, but if the preaching is true and cut into your heart, and you raise that hand and you bow your head, you're doing right. All right? That's all you're doing. This is beautiful. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 7 goes on, and Jeshua and Bani and uh, Sherebiah and Jamin and uh, Akab and Shebathiah, Hodijah, Masaiah and Kelita, Azariah, Jozebad, Hanan, Pelilah, and the Levites, they caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and they gave the sense, and they caused them to understand the reading. Now, this is priceless, because all the people, as we saw, stood. Ezra read out loud the words of Scripture, he read slowly because just like you know, you've got a crowd, you need to be able to say slowly, distinct, uh, I'll say consistently in a second, and distinctly. The consistently mean he began to read and he just read. How many have interruptions about every 30 seconds in your life? It's called Facebook. It's called Twitter and Snapchat. and It's called kids and everything else. Life is filled with distractions. They had none. That's why church is important that we take time, we come away, switch off the phone, and we have no distractions so somebody can read and tell me what saith the Lord. Distinctly, they took the time to make sure that they explained the words in the context. And that's discipleship. Say, I don't get it, Pastor. All right, that's where you sit down and you take the time, you ask the questions. Jesus didn't just get up and lecture to his disciples. You know what he said? He said, what do you think? Have you not read? So he's discipling his disciples, isn't he? And that's what church is. It gets us to think and to understand. You know, when Jesus had multitudes around him, he made sure they actually thought about what he was saying. Matthew 15, 17 says, Do you not yet understand? 16, 19, this again, Do you not yet understand? <laughs> to another thing, Matthew 16, 11, How is it that you do not understand? And he's taking so much time to try to explain things. Because what good is it if you don't understand what is being said? And I'm serious. The reason why we come to church is not so that you get it all in one spot, but, uh, one shot, but you come and bit by bit you go, 
He's preaching about me. When I started going to church, you know what the pastor was saying in the pulpit sounded good, sounded true. I was reading along in the Bible. I didn't understand one word of it. Went back the next Sunday. Listened to him preach. Listened to the singing. Got to meet the people. Everything just seemed so cool. As he talked, I went, yeah, okay. Makes sense, whatever he said. Third Sunday, fourth Sunday, fifth Sunday, sixth Sunday, seventh Sunday, eighth Sunday. I like this place. Are you saved? I have no idea what you're talking about. Why don't you come tonight? I don't know why. I have no idea why somebody asked me, come back to church tonight. They had no idea what the pastor was going to preach. I came that night and I sat down there and he preached. And for the first time in those eight weeks, it was like somebody, like a dump truck was dumping everything on me. He preached about unsaved church members. He preached about being tares among the wheat. And every word he said was as clear as dawn. I was like, ow, no, ooh, ah. And he just hammered away. And I understood I was lost. I understood that Christ died for a sinner like me. I understood I deserved hell. I understood everything that had been said for eight weeks. It all came crashing down. And that night I got saved. What good is church if you're not getting it? So, everyone listened because they wanted to get it. Look back there in verse 3. He read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning till midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Down to verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth after church because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. That's a good church service where somebody understands Pastor Ledbetter. Amen. Jesus says over and over, Matthew 11, he says, He that hath ears to hear. Acts 7, Stephen cries out to the people who are about, and they're picking up stones at this point. He's about to die, and he says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and in ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves where we don't understand because we don't like what we hear. It'll be like that. By the way, don't tell me your children can't understand the Bible. Don't say, well, my child, my child needs one of those simpler Bibles. No, they don't. Your problem is you're too lazy. Second uh, Timothy 3 says this, And from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, they were Hebrew, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable even for children. Hey, listen to this verse. Was this written for adults or children? Are you ready? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Who was that written to? Children. And ye fathers, provoke not your children. It was written to fathers. So the Bible is written to children. So don't say, well, my child. No, your child needs the Bible. Your child needs to understand all the things we take for granted. The people came to understand it. Look in, look in uh, verse 7. They said in Joshua and all those guys caused the people to understand the law. And we read down there verse 8 in Nehemiah, which is the Chirshatha, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. What does he say now? Mourn not. Stop weeping. 
for all the people right in church wept when they heard the words of the law. What's going on? Was was it the way Ezra was reading? You know, you can read really sad stories and make people really sad. That's manipulation. They were understanding what Genesis was saying and what Exodus was saying. And, it, and when, they, when the penny dropped, they started to cry out and they started to weep and said, we're in trouble with God. That's revival. We're in the West. We would never cry in church. We would never let anybody know that that, that message is working on us. I think you need to let it happen. I think we need to sort of remember that brought such great revival to them and we need such great revival here. Don't fight the work of the Holy Spirit when He's humbling you and trying to break you. They came to understand it. And then they started living by it. Look down there in verse 13. So it's the second day. So they came for church. It's now the second day. They were gathered together, all the chief of the fathers and all the people, the priests and Levites, back unto Ezra the scribe, so they could understand the words of the law more, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded to Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. So they said, hey, you're reading along there. Now they didn't have their own copies. They're paying attention to just what he said. And as he's preaching, and they say, well, excuse me, that just said we're supposed to be in tents, which was a booth. And, and, and shouldn't we be in tents? Now, that's cool. You know, if the pastor says you ought to do something from the Bible, if you hear something from the Word of God spoken that you're supposed to do, guess what you're supposed to do? What you're supposed to do? You're supposed to. Well, that's what it, husbands love your wife. <laughs> I, have to, I have to love you. Why? Because the pastor told me? No, because it's in the Bible. They got to obeying. When they heard something they needed to do, they jumped at it. This was breathtaking. Uh, and they feared going against As you find out, they're, they're uh, um, weeping. They did not want to get in trouble with God. And, and the truth is, they respected God. And they respected God enough to stay standing. Did you notice? When it's, it says that they stood up, but I'm looking for the verse, chapter 8, verse 7. And Nehemiah, which is the Tirshatha, and that's the, the leader, and Ezra, the, price, uh, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites taught the people and said to the people, um, I'm looking for the verse where it says they stayed standing. I thought it was, oh, it was 8, 9. I was reading. Sorry, thank you. Wrong verse. And Yeshua and Bani and so on and so forth, so on and so forth, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So I don't know if you understand, but this thing is going on. As he starts in Genesis 1, he read 50 chapters. That went on for up to four hours. And they stayed standing. Why'd they do it? Because it was God speaking. Just as valid as they were remembering when Israel stood at Mount Sinai and that thunder roared and that earth quaked and they heard the voice of God and Moses brought down the Ten Commandments and all the law was being presented to them. And they said, we better listen. And they stood this crowd of 42,360 people remained standing.
understanding. And I got a thought here. How you treat the Word of God in your hand shows how you view its author. I mean, I've done, I've picked up kids on church buses. I've watched how people treat the Bible. They kind of, as soon as church is over, they throw it in the back of the car. They don't pick it up again until next Sunday. Is that what you think about the author of the Bible? The next day they gathered to hear more. It just is so cool. Ezra's finished Genesis in the first day. Now he starts in Exodus and he goes 40 chapters. Then he's into Leviticus. There's 27 chapters in Leviticus. And that's when they learned they needed to build some booths or tents. Now this is really cool because you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to do it. They said, we have never done that in our entire life. What they were going to do was they were going to camp. They were going to family camp. Everybody, this was not a fancy tent. They weren't allowed to bring their house and their portable house or whatever. They had to go and gather stuff from whatever was available, build them a lean-to, a little hut, and they all got to sit down there as a family and listen to the Word of God read and eat and listen and praise God. It was like church all day, and then they got to have family time, and then they went to sleep. They got up again. They just never left. It was like family camp. And you know what was funny? They all did it. They all, they all just said, let's do this. If that's what God says, and you know what God asks is always good. It's always, when you do it, it's always worth it. So they assembled. They had already been there for one day. They went seven more days during the second feast. They continued reading for four hours a day, each and every day. Look there in chapter 9 and verse 3. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God, one-fourth part during the day, that's one quarter of the day, about three to four hours, and another fourth part, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. So they were in church for at least six, if not eight hours in church-type service. And they couldn't get enough. They loved what God was doing just through the reading of the Word of God. You'll see where I'm going with this here in a moment. I want to talk about how we've been robbed of almost all, if not all, of our free time. How many hours a week does the devil rob you? Rob you of your time and your growth, your spiritual growth, just in wasting time in front of Facebook and the TV. How many hours of your life have been robbed simply because you were lazy and you wasted hundreds of hours each and every month on entertainment? Did you know the average number of hours spent in front of TV here in Ireland, of everyone, is three hours plus every day. When you take every man, woman, and child, so somebody's watching a lot more than me. If you take every man, woman, and child in Ireland and you add it up how many hours, the average is over three hours a day. In the UK, it's worse. It's almost four hours a day are spent watching TV, according to Ofcom's survey of UK adults and children. And then there's the little electronic devices. Well, you don't like them in church. Open your Bible. Don't turn on your Bible. Ofcom says the UK adults spend an average of 8 hours and 41 minutes a day on their media devices. You know what that means? They even actually said this in the, in, in, um, the BBC. They said, people spend more time on their devices than they do sleeping. 
You say, well, I don't. I know, I hope you don't. <laughs> you do, you're in serious trouble. But that's what we're dealing with. No wonder when they come to church, they're like, ah, boring. I wonder a lot of Christians are like that. Let me give you some helpful statistics. To read through the entire 50 books, 50 chapters of the book of Genesis from start to finish just takes three and a half hours. Does that surprise you? Oh, I couldn't do that. It would take 13 hours to read from Genesis to Deuteronomy, just reading at a normal pace, like what we read here. Just reading at eight word. No, I forget how, um, uh, uh, however many, I forget. Eight, yeah, eight words a second. It's, a, it's very, or, yeah, seven or eight words a second. It's, it's amazing. 13 hours to read Genesis to Deuteronomy. I think it's, that's not correct. I forget what the actual statistic was. The entire Old Testament just takes 51 and a half hours to read from start to finish, from Genesis to Malachi. The New Testament can be read in 18 hours. If you set aside three days at six hours each, you've read the entire New Testament. Say, what are you getting at? That's fanatical. I know it is. I know it. No one has that amount of time. Really? Did you know that this book that you hold in your hand was meant to be read? Adding it all up, you could read your Bible from cover to cover in just 72 hours. Now, I don't know anybody could do that because you'd have to fall asleep at some point, but I have the cassettes to prove it. From Genesis to Revelation, I have 72 hours of cassettes. Alexander Scorby read the Bible in 72 hours. That's just three days. Now, nobody does that, but let me tell you, don't tell me you can't read it in a year. Uh, I was looking up, I met people, I've met young people who read a Harry Potter book in one day. The fastest one of the Harry Potter books read is unfathomable. I wanted to go there. <laughs> Somebody speed read it but could comprehend the, 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 uh, the what was it called? It was some stupid uh, the half-blood prince or whatever the thing was. Um, read this entire 550-page uh, book in two hours. Most most kids who pick up a Harry Potter book read it in six to seven hours. That's nearly 600 pages. Our kids need to read our Bibles. The adults need to read our Bibles. I know, I'm a slow reader, I know. If you read your Bible just for 30 minutes a day, just for 30 minutes, and you just read it without interruptions, if you just read it, let it wash over you. You could read through your Bible three times in one year. If you just read it, not now in the 20... Uh, you're going to have to learn a little faster than that. But read. Here's the question. Here's the invitation. There's a lot that's going on in a church... What are we going to do with the Bible? Four things that Ezra got the people to do. One was he got them to read it. They heard it. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word. I said, well, I can't read well. Listen to it then. Let somebody else read it to you. Get you uh, the, 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 uh, the, the Bible on cassette or CD, or you can listen to it live streaming. Read it. From start to finish. Secondly, learn what it's talking about. Learn what it's talking about. You know, remember the Ethiopian eunuch. 
He's up in the chariot. And what is he doing? He's reading the book of Isaiah. He's bought himself a copy of the, the gospel of Isaiah. And he's riding that chariot, and Philip comes up to him, and he sees him reading the scriptures, and the Holy Spirit says, go join yourself to that chariot. Get in that chariot. So he goes up to him, and he says, sir, excuse me, sir, do you understand what you're reading? And the, it's really cool. He asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I except some man guide me? Can you help? And up gets this soul winner and says, let me, let me show you this. It's all about Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? When the penny dropped, the guy said, all right, I'm ready to get baptized. And, and old Philip says, hold on, wait, wait, wait. I know you want to get baptized, but you must believe with all your heart. And he says, I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. He understood, didn't he? Learn what's being talked about. If I say something that you don't understand, ask me. Because what I'm trying to teach you is more important than what you'll watch on the TV rest, the rest of the week. Get back to obeying what you read. We'll talk about that next week. And fear going against it. God wrote this book as, a, as not only a blessing, but as a warning. And let's actually enjoy worshiping God. I found that the best kind of church people are the people that love that book. Not the ones that just love me. Now, you ought to love me too, but because I'm a brother. But loving this book. And that's the kind of church that I want to have. But did you know, some people don't know even why they're here, but I'm going to tell you, maybe you heard a trumpet call, which means your mother. <laughs> We're going to church! <laughs> that was a trumpet. But whatever reason why you're here, Nehemiah called it for a good reason, but Jesus calls us for a better reason. Matthew chapter 11 says this, Come unto me, Jesus said, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You see, Jesus' invitation is greater than Nehemiah's. Nehemiah called the people to get together to hear the word of God. Jesus says, come to me, I am the word of God. He invites everyone in this room, whether you're, if you're not saved or whether you're confused or whatever, make sure you're trusting in him. Go to him. You can talk to him. He'll listen. And he'll take every sin you've ever had and every sin you'll ever commit and he'll swap your righteousness for your sin. He'll let you walk away free. His invitation is open still today, amen? Let's stand, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm concerned that in our generation, in this day, most of us are waiting for a feeling. We're waiting for a, a I don't know, something exciting to happen before we ever commit to you. And we don't even realize how much the devil blocks us and gets us so out of shape with our schedule so we don't have any time for your word. And we need revival. We need unity. We need a kind of church that when we gather, we are hungry to hear from you. But it's not going to happen if we don't value the book we hold in our hand. And if we don't hunger for what's in it. Because as Peter said, he said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. So, Father, I, there are only two kinds of people in this room, saved and lost. Two kinds of people, sinner and saint. One of them is going to struggle and argue and fight, saying, it's not for me, when it is for them. It was written to convict us of sin. 
to show us there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ, not through our good works, not through our prayer life, not through our giving, not through church, but by going unto Jesus Christ and admitting we're lost, we're worthy of hell, we're, we're a mess, and we need to be saved, and then believing that Jesus died for them. Then there's the other side. Just love the Bible. They just love being around God's people as we listen and we learn and we grow and we live by this book. And that's the kind of church I want to have, God. Yeah, we take, welcome anybody that comes in here, but we want them saved. And once saved, we want them in love with the author of this book. Help us, God, to read our Bibles. Fall in love fresh with you every time. In Jesus' name, amen.